0: What's going on everybody welcome to another episode of Marvel pair up your podcast that comes out alongside every single Marvel MCU show on Disney plus where we pair it up with the historical movies of that genre whether it's Wandavision and sitcoms or Loki and time travel we are giving you our responses reactions and reviews for an episode and of course the history of how we got here with these fun genres. Right now, we're in the middle of Miss Marvel and coming of age stories. We're going to do episode two and the history and influence of John Hughes. As always, I'm your host, Blake Schultz, and with me is Terrence Tatum.
1: Hello, everyone.
0: And Jamie Jaroc. Hello. Uh, so, guys, what did you think of Miss Marvel's second episode?
1: Uh, it was a delight. I could not stop smiling from here to here. This... <laughs> I know WandaVision is gonna always be up there for me because it's just so it was so different, but this is right there next to it. I love this show. Uh I love her, the whole romance thing. I'm a sucker for for love. So anytime someone starts crushing on someone, especially at that age, because I think while we are all removed from that, we can all remember what that feeling feels like. And they nailed it. Like her coming home and doing her singing in her brain was one of the most perfect scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. So, like, yep, been there. I know that sequence. <laughs> uh I love it and 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 just a hint obviously we could we continue on with the marvel of it all like her superhero power, that's all thrown in but it's still at the heart of its coming a coming of age story. I think the sequence in the bathroom with the two girls and her talking about uh why she puts on her job was fantastic. I was like oh yes please put this in front of everybody and I know there are a lot of people who are angry plug them I don't care that was great I loved it. No, this is this is this is my this is my sweet spot. It's one of my favorite things that they've done for with the Marvel TV shows.
2: Amazing. Yeah, it was so good. I all everything Terrence just said, it was just it's just sweet. I wish it wasn't coming out at the same time as Obi Wan Kenobi because Obi-Wan Kenobi is the best thing that's ever happened in my to me. So it's like I'm watch I'll watch Obi Wan and then it's like, okay, Miss Marvel and Miss Marvel's amazing. And I just wish it was like separate, um, so that we could, I could appreciate it and it could. It could take up more of my brain because my brain is so occupied right now with a different show that's releasing at the exact same fucking time. Uh, But it's just so it's so wholesome and pure and 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 like Terrence said, it's just so relatable. Um, And it's and it's so cool that it can be so specific uh, to to certain culture, but also so relatable uh, to everyone. Like it's just like more we need more content like that. It's it's amazing. Uh, I'm just loving it.
0: I completely agree and I think you you touched on something Jamie of like it is it's a different culture and they're still hitting this main relatability everybody no matter who you are has gone through so many of the things in here but then there are these specific hijab scenes and scenes at the mosque and prayer and all of these other moments that are so unique and specific and incredible for the people that need that representation and that inclusion And I love that balance um, because I think it's interesting. I've seen a lot of people kind of have this conversation of like, well, sure, you're relating to it, but it's something else. And I even remember being younger and every now and then relating to women in movies or music that wasn't necessarily for like white suburban kids. And people were like, but it's not you. And it's like, yes, but we all have emotions <laughs> and things that happen to us um, and I, I love it I love the detail to everything it, it, it's just show that continues very much like WandaVision has such good design and cinematography and direction that it's not as like bombastically different as WandaVision was but so much like detail and even in the things she's creating and I I'm a sucker for the romance. I love seeing it from this different POV though, where normally I'm like, oh, usually it's like the guy and the girl's going after the popular hunk. And he's like, but I'm going to get her and I'm her best friend and she'll see me one day. And now I'm like, no, you can go away. Let her be with the attractive man. You, chew, your friends, will be gone with you. Training today, no. No. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's
0: other training that we need to do, you fool. <laughs> it's uh, it's great because it also shows, I felt in this episode, such a, a hearkening back to Spider-Man, which is a comparison that Ms. Marvel has had since the comics. And I think, unfortunately, any young teenager with superpowers is going to get Robin and Spider-Man comparisons. But these sequences on the roof with the powers was so 2002 Sam Raimi- And watching her like the trying and the failing and the learning curve of the abilities that I don't feel like we see that often that well anymore where sometimes they get their ability and then they're just off to the races.
1: Yeah, I feel like I mean, Iron Man is the one that I can think of the most, but kind of in like Af- cap a little bit. But for the most part, any character that is introduced now, they're kind of just like, well, we're off. We're just going to, we're in their powers, and that's the way it is. And you don't yeah. really get to learn on the job. Like, I guess it makes more sense with the younger ones because she's like, I don't know what any of this is. This is all new to her.
0: Well I think it's also the benefit of TV because we had that great sequence in Falcon and the Winter Soldier where he's just throwing that shield against trees and with Bucky and over here and like getting used to it and like we see it there too Um, but I loved that and I loved all of the things in this episode that to me separated it from other things in its genre I was just texting my friend and he was like what do you like why is this so exciting and I was like well spider-man vibes i'm a big spider-man guy but look when spider-man figures it out he saves the day and he gets away when she has her big scene to like save this kid at the top of the tower right before she does it she like zones out has like all of the likes come in and all the fame and all the things and the benefits and then drops the kid And the kid still makes it, he's okay, but he does like yell out about his hip and people run and we don't celebrate her. There is no like, we did it. It is a very like sloppy first time moment. And a part of me was like, yes, I have been in that exact situation where you are like up to like play baseball and you're up to bat and you're like, the bases are loaded and I'm gonna hit it and everyone's gonna run and it's gonna be a home run. And then the ump is like strike three. And you're like, what? (laughs)
1: <laughs> when did that oh that movies. is not i mean, would plan it at all in my head yeah
0: it's it's uh brings me back to like empire strikes back when yoda's uh, never your mind on where you are what you're doing like you're always off in the clouds and i was like what a what a high school specific thing that i feel like we don't see a lot where we do we're so oh they're daydreaming and doodling and drawing but it's never in a moment like that where you're like Ooh, I'm about to do it. And then I thought about how cool it'll be when I do it. And then I didn't do it. (laughs) Uh, I thought that was great. I thought it was also, you know, we have another legacy character, which we're doing a lot of in Marvel right now. New Hawkeye, new Cap, new this. But this is the first time where she's so... On her own, and it isn't really like the Captain Marvel legacy isn't there. She is just so much a fan, and it hasn't even in the context of the show deemed herself Miss Marvel yet. Like that's we're still working up to that. Uh, but I love that there isn't like a traditional mentor. There isn't a traditional like Peter and Miles, where someone really is like, "I'm going to show you the ropes, and this is what being Spider-Man means." and Cap and Falcon and Bucky and then having this like debate about what that legacy is and who it is and even Kate Bishop and Hawkeye like this is she's making her own path with the influence of what was before her not unlike a movie and directors (laughs) so I think it's like we're doing a lot of things that we've seen but we keep kind of twisting it in certain ways like there is no batman beyond old bruce wayne at the computer telling her what to do there is no there's nothing she doesn't even have like the i think we're about to get the family member who explains or the connection to all that based on how this episode ends but uh we really are just as in the dark as she is and i i love that because it really just lends yourself to the imagination of the show and the imagination of being a kid and the whimsy of something new and exciting whether it's a job or a relationship or a bracelet that makes giant hands for
1: you. (laughs) I will say Um, that I know a lot of people were complaining that like oh she doesn't seem to have her powers the same way. It, it, It appears she may still have the powers the exact same way it's just that this bracelet unlocks it like who knows like they're saying that the powers are within her the whole time and this is sort of the key to unlock that and those the writing on that bracelet could be creep, could be whatever, so it still could be in line with what they're doing, it's just people are so rushed to get it the way that they want it, they don't want to take any time to enjoy it. Oh,
0: life. I mean, we spent five weeks of Obi-Wan, of people demanding young Hayden, and you gotta let the show be the show. Like, I hate this new mentality of like, I just want the cameo, and the answer, and the thing, and the setup for the next thing. Like we just gotta mm-hmm. let, let it cook for a little bit. Let it be a show, let it be a movie. We, were, we weren't sitting around after Iron Man 1 in 2008 going, where's the space stone and the time <laughs> stone and where's yeah. Cap and blah, blah, Calm down, the closest maybe was an X-Men 2 when I was like, I would like Gambit to be here, <laughs> that's it. And even then I remember my dad being like, I can't do them all kid. What do you want? <laughs> there you go. Oh, is he wrong though? <laughs> yeah. Well look, to be fair, we never got a great gambit and no. he was in that for a very small this is not a gambit podcast. But <laughs> get ready for um 52 card pickup, my gambit podcast coming shortly. <laughs> That's a good name. I like that. I like it. Right? Um no, but I love it. I'm I'm very, very I'm all about it. We're doing everything that I want to do. Um, and it's just great, and I'm loving all the little small details and crumbs. I'm I'm just on the ride. I don't I'm not waiting for the when's Doctor Strange or Captain Marvel or blah 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 blah, blah. I'm, like, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of those yeah. takes. I'm tired of those questions. Enjoy a story. Watch a show. Stop reading the last chapter of the book. Read the book. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you anymore. Yeah, that's my rant on that. This show is great. Um. Do we want to get right into John Hughes? Anybody else's yes. points? All right. So many things to say. Jamie, do you want to kick us off? I think uh, this is a pretty like I don't know if we need to do a whole like, John Hughes was a marketing person and, but, 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 but from the Midwest right. in Shermer, Illinois. Yeah, yeah. Well, Shermer, Illinois,
2: not a real place as learned by James <laughs> but, <laughs> um, uh Yeah, I mean, John Hughes, Truly the the creator of the modern day teen movie, especially the teen romance. Uh, we would not be where we are today. We would have not had the excellent films of the 90s that were all so heavily influenced by John Hughes. We will eventually be talking about another teen movie where they go to John Hughes high school. Uh, it's, uh, you know, he, and so you forget sometimes that he didn't direct all of them. Um, and I, just before we started today, I watched some kind of wonderful, which he wrote. Um, and I have a lot of things to say about that, but of course, uh, you know, if we're talking about our, f- the breakfast club is in my top 10 favorite films of all time. Uh, I deeply, deeply love the breakfast club. Uh, but some of his movies I don't love. I'm not a big, pretty and pink fan. Uh, 16 candles is, is fun and funny, but it is so deeply problematic. Very troubling. Like, <laughs> not just, like it is racist. Oh, and it is like, all, like uh, a lot of creepy behavior by a lot of guys in that movie. Um, uh, and
1: and by the heroes, quote unquote, of that movie, it's yeah. creepy behavior. I was like, well, this is bizarre.
2: Yeah. Um, uh, some kind of wonderful, I think I, I really love, uh, we'll get into, I've got things with that. Ferris Bueller's Day Off, One of, also one of the greatest films ever made. You know, uh, some of us spent a lot of our lives in Chicago and it is the Chicago movie um but yeah i don't i
0: don't know if that's what you meant i start us off but i'm I'm just no that was great that was exactly pretty much what i meant uh because everything you said is right and i think (laughs) I've, i've been thinking so much about it this week jamie when you brought up last week that the 70s has so few movies that take place in the 70s and specific to this genre and it's interesting when you then really look at what john hughes did where we kind of came out of that era whether or not it was because people had the same like we don't want covid movies we don't want vietnam movies or whatever else maybe movies were just ready for sci-fi and horror and sequels galore uh but it's interesting that we did like rebel without a cause which was very much like the teenagers need representation that's real for the first time but also we can like market to them and make some money and then we had all the beach party movies and then we had american graffiti which was so like remember the past I think John Hughes kind of came in and very much was like we've done the past let's get into where we are now like almost all of his movies are in the year that they're released there is no like period piece John Hughes movie that I can think of there is no sci-fi John Hughes movie they are all a era of time a slice of life they are devoted to you're a misfit you're an outcast you're growing up your parents are this way you want to be that way and sometimes it goes a little too far of like well you know the guys all want the girls so we're gonna make weird science and 16
1: candles (laughs) and
2: I watched Weird Science and I thought I had seen it before, but if I did, I blocked it out. (laughs) What
1: the... the, It's the the poop, the poop, the poop monster, right? That's what does it for you. Bill
0: Paxton as a poop monster. Yeah, there's there's a lot of missteps, but within those missteps are The Breakfast Club and are even Home Alone and Planes, Trains, and Automobiles and things that have given us solidified the tropes that we use now. I mean, The Breakfast Club just straight up is like, Hello, it is 1985, uh, jocks, prom queen, nerd, basket case. We will use this forever now.
1: <laughs> this, these um, are the high school tropes from now
0: yeah. on. <laughs> and like those existed to a degree before, right? Like there's always been the street toughs and the whatever, but this was the first time that somebody just was like, that one, that one, that one, that. The same way that the turtles was like the leader, the smart guy. Uh, the funny one and Raphael
1: and the- <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> yeah. we will not do this forever
1: and and it's probably the first time that uh, a director writer was like hey let's put all these people in a room and talk and realize that we are literally the exact same people we just have been put into these boxes and we don't know how we got here and it's one well, fun to watch. It's painful to watch too. I forgot how hard that sequence when they're all sitting by each other and going over their trauma. I was like, Jesus, this is rough.
0: It's such I started laughing when I realized that they were probably still all high at that point. Like they'd smoked (laughs) that joint and I was like, you know what? This kind of makes even more sense now. They're like, (laughs) they're coming down from it. It's the end of the day.
2: Yeah. I'm sad I didn't watch it this week just because, like I said, it's in my top 10. I've seen it a million times, but, uh, uh, and I wanted to rewatch some other ones, but uh, now I'm like, I'm going to watch it this week still because <laughs> I love it. Talking about it, it's, I, there, you know, I know people complain about the Alice Sheedy ending where they, uh,
1: pretty um, her, you know, up. Gold. her up, pretty her up.
2: And the no. only, like, I agree, like, she, I, like, I like think she looked better before, but it wasn't, like, an identity thing where it like, kind of, like, I don't, like, I really hate when they do it to Claya Duvall and the faculty, yes. um, because she has more of a, it's more of her personality, it's her style, whereas Ali she's really just hiding. She doesn't have any friends, she's, like, she's just, like, you know, she's, like, she's, like, her, she's unloved by her family yeah I don't think
1: it was for her it didn't feel like she ever felt like she was unattractive or ugly it was just like she was hiding from friends and I think that sequence while probably still an issue felt more as if Claire was connecting to her yeah and that's where that connection came in it's like oh look this is what I can provide I can do this because this is what I do. So here, let's 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 change this up a bit for you.
0: Um, yeah, and we've all seen Wicked. We know that eventually she's going to change back and the bit, yeah. <laughs> which is going to die. And, like we all we know how this goes. We, it's the fifth song on the soundtrack of Wicked. It's, my uh, in, in, uh
2: I was in Chicago. My um, my theater I was a part of did a mu- Breakfast Club musical, and the cast afterwards did an improv set, where it was like the next day at school. And they were the and it was f- hilarious. Uh, just like the concept, because they do talk about it, like what's going to happen tomorrow. I love um, that are we going to still be friends and it was fun to watch someone kind of bring that to life and like watch it all really because i've always
1: i've always like i've seen this movie multiple times but my mom's like the next day I'm like i know you guys are kissing but a lot of that is because i feel like when you're trapped into a room with some people for like an, hours and hours you're going to find some type of attraction once you go to sleep and wake up is that still going to be there like ah, uh, you know what never mind i like go. to
2: think that it will but you i know. do
1: too but you it's it's a very
2: it's
0: another big theme that John Hughes deals with a lot of like life goes on and I think Ferris Bueller kind of gets into that also a lot where it's like yeah we're in love right now but she's going to go to college and I'm going to go to college and Cameron's going to stay here and who knows what's going to go on like there's a lot of he he taps into I think for like the first time in big movies the idea that like you're growing up right now, but you will not stop growing up. And like the presence of college has become like a reaching point, a MacGuffin of a lot of these. And so many, like when you get into the American Pies and in the 90s, start dealing with that first summer back and the reunion and the like, oh, we've all gone off and lived our lives separately. What's still here? So I think that like, that's kind of the first time we start to really see people be like, yeah, this is great and there's gonna be a happy ending, but like, th- then what? And there is, I was reading his interview before he passed away where they were like Breakfast Club 2 and he was like, there's no there's no reason for these characters to ever be in this kind of like situation again. There is no more bottle, bottle room, bottle ship episode. What do they call this episode trope? They're all stuck in one place. Uh, Oh, a bottle episode. Just a bottle episode. episode. Thank you. (laughs) Yeah. And a part of me was like, well, that's not true, John. There's this first summer back from, you could have done this every year and done a like first summer back for like last summer back before like college is over. You could have kept, we could have come into (laughs) these characters' lives. There are 75
1: (laughs) American Pie movies,
0: John. There's a really
2: great line in something kind of wonderful work. Um, where Eric Stoltz's father like really is pushing for him to college, and you know he doesn't want to go. And the dad's like, "You're 18. You don't know anything." And 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 Eric Stoltz goes, "Well, I'm gonna be 19, and then I'm gonna be 20. When's my life my own?" And, uh, and it's really kind of a powerful moment where it's like these, you know, I remember being a teenager and I was pretty, I knew who I was and I knew what I wanted. And I was very much, you know, I was a little more like, you know, dramatic maybe because I was going to a theater high school. Um, but like, I'm this pretty much the exact same person I was now
0: that I was in high Well, that's the, uh-huh. the quote the movie opens on, right? It's the David Bowie quote yeah. of mm-hmm. like the teenagers know what they're going. Like they, they, their are present. And I think you're right, Jamie. And that's something else that Breakfast Club does is it goes, hey, we're all the same, but we are also still different. Like there is never really a moment where they're like, yeah, let's all conform. Like it is still like, yeah, cool. Like we all have trauma, but like, I am a jock.
1: Like it is, Yeah. And it's, it's, uh it's interesting between this and Rebel. Like we always, we still have these adults who are putting their pressures or their what they think teens should be on them even the principal is kind of like you should be this you should be that and like for a minute the the principal becomes straight up he's the villain of this movie when he takes bender into the into the closet and locks him up and the way he responds like jesus this is what you took a complete turn um but it just shows you how adults see teens and a lot of that is because he had trauma because he didn't make the decisions in his own life. So then he's kind of like the adult version of them if he doesn't get to choose their path where you see these kids doing what it is that they they want. That's why I always love this film because I sit there and I'm like, yeah, this is for some people who do like Jamie knew always knew what she wanted to be. But there's some kids who they wake up and like, shit, I know nothing. And they kind of have to kind of reset and re-refigure out what the hell it is that their life is. This is that movie that kind of like is that flag for I think a lot of people to be like, it's okay to not know. It's fine. You don't have to all figure it out right now.
0: Yeah. yeah, there was always a weird aspect of john hughes movies that were like it's okay that you're a kid be a kid like there there was almost always an allowance of it mm-hmm. where i don't think you saw that in a lot of other movies where there was sort of a like hey it's it's fine that that ferris bueller's having this one day that's gonna be a blip on the radar when he's 50 you won't even remember it, <laughs> yeah like it's okay that like who like just go do the thing and make the mistakes and Because they all do. Like that John Hughes movies are also movies where every character is making mistakes constantly. And I think that was something else that we kept through the 90s and today of this imperfection in our heroes and in our teens and kids.
2: Yeah. Um, One thing that I'm dying to talk about um, is why John Hughes is such the perfect choice for the second episode of Ms. Marvel uh, and I, I ranted about this a little on phase zero, but I, I have like, I want to get really more deep into it. Uh, and it's it's the uh, the trope of the best friend, uh, you know, being in love with them. And uh, and the thing about Bruno on Ms. Marvel is that he's giving me ducky vibes. And that is a negative, negative thing. Cause I hate ducky with a passion. I did not rewatch Pretty in Pink this week cause I don't want to stare at ducky for 90 minutes. I, <laughs> I, I, I hate him. And, and I'm so glad I watched some kind of wonderful because they're really juxtap- juxtaposition in terms of I don't you know I don't want it to seem like I'm like anti like don't like your friends but a lot of guys and especially John Cryer in Pretty in Pink like there's this like ownership that that you know he has over uh, Molly Ringwald and this like he's just not a he's not even a good friend and uh, and he's <laughs> icky and he's gross and he's persistent and and it's and it's fucked up uh, and. So I just watched some, kind. did you, have you guys watched Some Kind of Wonderful?
1: I've never seen it, no.
2: Okay, Um, I think you'll like it, it's good. But the thing about this movie, I am gonna spoil it, Um, it, because the ending is shocking. It, I'll never forget watching the movie for the first time in high school and being shocked because so Eric Stoltz likes Leah Thompson. She's like the, a pretty popular girl and uh, he's weird. He's an artist who works at a gas station. And then his best friend is tomboy Mary Stuart Masterson. Now, when you watch this movie for the first time, you're pretty sure Mary Stuart Masterson is a lesbian. She <laughs> is staring at Leah Thompson so much. She's trying to talk uh, Eric Stoltz out of, his like pursuit of her and all this stuff and 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 she's like the way she dressed she's so hot you I, I she's so hot in this movie it's <laughs> insane um but then in the end she's in it's because she's in love she's in love with Eric Stoltz and uh and and then they they do end up together Eric Stoltz and Mary Stuart Masterson and it's like shocking because you don't really realize that that's where it's going because you think she's a lesbian but put the Pin that aside. Pretend like we don't think she's a lesbian and it's just a story of two best friends. She's a great best friend who's in love with her best friend because even though she does still try to talk him out of it, she still at her core cares about him and wants him to be happy. And she helps him with his whole plan to get Leah Thompson, even though she knows it's not going to work. She's smart because women are smarter. And maybe that's why, maybe it's better to watch the girl be the one who's pining because girls are smarter, especially. (laughs) But um. And so like, and it's just, she's still a good friend, all that. So my point is like, where's Bruno going to fall? Bruno right now, I feel is going way too on the ducky side. And, uh, and I, he was, I didn't like the way he was behaving in this episode. Maybe I'm being too harsh because I feel so strongly about this. And, but like, that's just, you know, the trope of it all. It's how it goes. I don't know if you guys have any strong feelings about this.
1: Blake and I kind of had a kind of know about Bruno, uh, the whole, um, I also watched Bollywood like it was clear that he was kept trying to break up or like in, interject into anything that he had they the two of them had my biggest issue was when he got the the grant or whatever for to go to school in San Diego that he's kind of thinking about it it's clear that he in his head has made up this world where he and Kamala are together uh be damned of however the hell kamala feels about it and i'm going to change everything about my life accordingly to that which can that's dangerous either way it's a very weird and dangerous sort of thing to do especially when you've never had this combo with kamala it does feel like he is kind of i own her or i own this relationship that we have together as ours and no one else can have you because i've been kind of been here the whole time which is I've very done funny. the work yeah, i've the, I put <laughs> in the time it's so messed work. up
2: because she doesn't know that <clears throat> right like and, and it's like and okay and, and if you like your friend and you're afraid to tell them either you tell them either you tell them and you bite the bullet and do it or you if that you're not going to tell them that is not on them yeah. that is on you and you have to behave accordingly they can't read your
1: mind right and it's even, it's clear that Kamala has zero idea that Bruno feels any any type of way to her. Cause even when she's like, what are we like, even they're on the rooftop and he's like, I might be trying to kiss you or not. She just kind of like, "I, are you okay? Uh, she does not see that at all. And so I think for Bruno for Bruno to get on the side where I actually do like him, he has to say something instead of just doing this weird pioneering from afar. Now, granted it's going to change a little bit because of the finale, final sequence. Uh, she can't really pine for him anymore because it seems like he might be related, but still. Uh... Which I'm really sad about,
2: <laughs> I was rooting for them instantly.
1: <laughs> yeah, but still, I do think that, like, yeah, I think for this... Bruno has to come out and say declare how he feels otherwise this starts getting gross really fast and you end up with I think everybody sort of not liking the ending of Pretty in Pink because yeah
0: (laughs) yeah it's you know it's funny as we're talking so positively about John Hughes and I think it is a mostly positive influence he's had on Hollywood and on movies and on stories I think there is a trope that he maybe didn't start he maybe didn't create but the like the nice guy gets the girl in the end, and this sort of except, yeah, I guess, except the breath. I don't know, it doesn't matter, but like, we've well, seen it's this. Pretty
2: pink, she does, she ends up with the
0: guy. The, the... yeah, he does not end up with Ducky, but in original, originally... but the
1: original ending had him oh. with Ducky,
0: and then yeah, they tested it a bunch. And it, the, the director is the one who was like, We're not doing this, mm-hmm. yeah, and they went back and redid it. But I, but my overall point is, I think that started a lot of the other stories in the how i met your mother world the jim and pam kind of stories all of these movies where it's like and the best friend was always there and they just had to realize it and it starts to lead into like incel reddity because sometimes those
1: best friends end up as naggers too which just is like that is the incorrect way to to to, to say declare love like i'm just gonna nag you into liking me enough or like i've been here the whole time you should have seen me that type of thing
0: so i wonder if this is either gonna go like a part of me is like we don't really have a villain yet aside from the bully is bruno gonna kind of become like a shitty villain because he's? keep and i would
2: kind of love that
0: like <laughs> And, I, but, and another part of me is like, that would be very, that's one way to go. That's one way to really like go again. Like there's three options to me. I'm like, we either go with the trope and she's like, oh my God, I love my best friend and everything's great. Uh, we go the opposite way with the trope where he becomes like a fedora wearing pick me up artist and <laughs> it all goes to hell in a handbasket. Or like I, maybe have him learn a lesson. Like, w- would it be crazy to like do this story and instead of him either becoming like, a problematic, horrible person, or he gets the girl that he just goes, oh, oops, you're right. It was on me to tell you how I feel. I didn't. I am kind of manipulating our friendship because I actually don't want it to be a friendship, but maybe I can now do all the change in the work and we can just be friends. I'm almost like, that's the one, I almost just want that. I'm like, I just want people to like heal their trauma and see their problems and catch it before it gets bad. There's also like
2: a a difference. And I think like you brought up Jim and Pam and Jim is an example of like kind of a good version of this where like, he's never gross or persistent. Uh, Whereas like, I made me think of the first season of Brooklyn Nine-Nine when, um, is it Boyle? Is that his name? He's uh, like so obsessive with Rosa and like, it's gross. Like he's constantly hitting on her and asking her out. And And like, that's the thing it's like, either you're keeping it secret poorly or you're, or in the case of like duck, the ducky thing where it's like so persistent. And that's what, um when I was watching 16 Candles, I forgot that Anthony, uh, Mike, uh, Anthony Michael had oh, is, gross. is like yeah, so, uh, icky towards her and but it's weird because it switches and once he talks to her and gets to know her he like apologizes which is something but the fact that he was doing it at all like the way that he was being so persistent was so gross it's like it's like you you shoot your shot great and then you're done and I also didn't like he that's a case of like the nerd he gets like in the end with the really popular like the most popular girl in school but that's really sketchy too that whole yeah
0: that's a really Uh, bad situation
1: there's a lot of issues I have with that, that for
2: yeah, I mean, and I mean, we can't. I mean, uh, the racist stuff. Like, I mean,
0: you the girls, racist
1: stuff and the whole just, I just, that's huge. I mean, but that's that's just abhorrent. That's like plainly so obvious. The one, uh, the one where the two heroes were, like talking about the girl. was like, oh, you can have her, and he's like, got, I'm going to violate her chin. I was like, what is what is yeah. happening in this yeah. in this movie? The it was that a, Steve,
2: like, he's like, yeah, you can take my girlfriend home. You can even have my car. Just make yeah. sure she gets home. Even though he had just said that like, oh, if I were you, I would be touching her while well, she was passed out. Like, it's yeah, just, I was
1: like, Ooh.
0: yeah, Yeah, that whole situation is very, very bad. <laughs> that whole,
2: yeah. But man, uh, Joan Cusack at that water fountain is the hardest I have laughed all
0: week. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Joan Cusack in that movie is some of the funniest psych eggs ever. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so I'm I'm curious how that'll go. But it is interesting, I think, when you look at how John Hughes is connecting almost not even to this episode, but like a lot of stuff in the MCU. Like I know Spider-Man Homecoming was also supposed to be the like high school. And a part of me was like, yeah, he is like running through the grass like Ferris Bueller. But I, I never really felt that we were like thematically getting there. Like he doesn't like leave school to be Spider-Man. He doesn't really feel like a misfit. We don't really get into like a lot of the other stuff. It's almost just like, we are in a high school and he is coming of age and Ferris Bueller is on the TV and therefore this is our coming of age movie. There are moments about
2: <laughs> like the party scene where it's like, does he whip out Spider-Man just like to you know, to try to gain cool points and the way that he likes Liz
1: and- so I, the, I, the Liz yeah. aspect of that and like we, the, just the hallway sequence where he sees Liz as he's going to the restroom, That that's prototypical John Hughes uh, when they're like have a date, asking him out asking her out, you know, she basically asked him out to the, to, to the dance. That's all very much in the John Hughes. The stuff that's not Spider-Man-esque or Spider-Man-centric yeah. tends to be more John Hughes-centric in that film. Um, it's and- just way more Spidey because that's what, that's what the film is.
0: And this, I feel like, is drenched in like coming of age teen John Hughes stuff. We have clicks. We're diff- we walk through that like great party, and she's just like, "You're either going to be with these people, these people. They all have like graphics and names." The Illuminati like, yes, are one yeah. of the greatest things of all time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was like, "Oh, this is just it." Like, this is the Breakfast Club, but in this incredibly specific, like, this section. This is great. Very mean girls. yeah yeah yeah. we're doing click and even at the high school we're doing the like they're the popular ones and we're over here we're this i have a question for you about this
2: uh watch you know we watch all these john hughes movies
0: and and it was very
2: much that the rich kids were always the popular kids and i did not experience that growing up like that had nothing to do with we we didn't really we we were so divided because we were like theater kids art kids Mm -hmm. dancers uh music like we was in art school so it was a little, little different but like popularity was not based on money uh at all uh in my growing was that did you guys have that was that like a thing
1: it was a lot yeah. harder to know uh the monetary makeup of a, of, of a family because we didn't have social media none of that stuff existed you were just going off of face value so all of that really didn't matter you'd be like oh your car pull up and as kids we don't know what that is it was more of like we're theater kids. I'm a music kid. I'm a drama kid. I'm a speech kid. Like those were sort of the breakups. We almost got broke up by whatever, like the breakfast club, whatever club you kind of wound up in where the money didn't really have, for me anyway, did not have a factor.
2: Some kind of wonderful is very much about, Rich kids or popular kids, uh, and Leah Thompson's not rich but still popular, and like that's like the thing. That's,
1: I think like- a lot of that comes from where Hughes is from, though. Like he can. I was gonna a-
0: say, I'll go last.
1: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll go last. <laughs> uh, yeah, it definitely has to do with the location of where Hughes is coming from. Is where he based that on.
0: Yeah. So for those who don't know, almost all of John Hughes' movies take place. In Chicago, but uh, I'm just going to say it, even though I'm white. It takes place in white Chicago. Uh, I don't think there's one John Hughes movie where they get to Comiskey Park or the South Side or like any of that. Uh, And the high schools are all North Shore suburbs of Chicago, very specifically Des Plaines, Northbrook, Glenview, Skokie, Morden Grove, Lake Forest. He's buried in Lake Forest, Illinois. These are all words that are meaningless if you're not from there. I grew up in Glenview, Illinois, which was down the street from Glenbrook North where uh, John Hughes is from and Breakfast Club takes place. But it's filmed at Maine, I believe, Maine North, which doesn't exist anymore. There's now a Maine East and a Maine West that was in Des Plaines in the 80s. And our high school and his high school were rivals. The joke at our high school was always Glenview doesn't have a John Hughes movie because we were his rival high school. <laughs> to answer jamie's question a hundred percent yes and in a very strange specific way because like uh terrence and i at our full-time job once had an intern who asked me if the house and home alone was real and i said yes i can drive by it when i'm home and this blew their mind and it's it's still there i can drive i'd see it whenever i'm home uh there's a lot of privilege and a lot of that system there there's also parts of those suburbs that while still wealthy enough to live in that suburb are not quite as wealthy as other pieces of it. My mom always is sort of like we live here but we have to like really budget where our neighbors have like lake houses and homes in California and like never worry about money ever. Uh, So uh, there was a lot of popularity in our high school that was very much maybe not like the popular and the uncool kids but if you had more money, you had more access to video games, movies, you could host things, you could have people at your house. You were the one who turned 16 and got your own car. Like I had to ask to borrow my mom's car for a long time until I got my first car. And there was sort of a chapter where I fell out with some friends who were cooler because suddenly they just got cars when they were 16. And therefore, got more friends and got more like there was a credibility to it but I think on a deeper level it was more the nerds and the athletes and this and this and this and I it was sort of starting to mix like there were kids on the football team who played magic the card gather magic the gathering card games and there were people who were jock prom queen girls who had crushes on me but there was definitely a like money kind of mattered situation
1: yeah i feel like we're the we're in the age group where the the cliques started to merge more um where you started to seeing the the band people with the athletes or or, or drama with like the, the the big the high basketball player and we'll and we'll see that sort of alter as we go through these coming-of-age comedies like when we get to the 10s the, the and the 20s uh, that sort of changes that so you can see some of those clicks start becoming one and you're like oh yeah no longer matters about that stuff but yes
0: yeah so it, it was definitely there like I, I can't really think of anybody who we like didn't hang out with because they were like poor I think it was less like you're not cool and more like you could do more stuff the haves
1: and the have-nots yeah i can do things that you you just can't yeah
0: it was almost like accidental isolation where if you like all like hung out at somebody's house one day you'd be like oh my god dan could only come if we biked somewhere and nobody like he doesn't have a cell phone so we didn't call to ask we didn't mean to but like oops Mm. like it was kind of more like that okay but yeah, there, I don't think there was ever a line in this, like, I don't think I ever walked in and somebody was like, Blake's parents don't have a lake house, beat him up. <laughs> like, I don't think that ever happened. Um, but yeah, it was definitely, you could feel it, especially when like college came, because like some people just went and some people took loans and I went to a community college and you could, you could kind of start to see the socioeconomic levels mm-hmm. that were in there. But It was a John Hughes movie. It was very, there was a lot of stuff in there where I'm like, yep, that's very much sure. Yeah, my high school career was very much the breakfast club meets clerks. I was working at GameStop and living in the North Shore. (laughs) That was where we were, but it's great.
2: I would like to uh, go off John Hughes for just a second and tell you guys that I watched an, a completely different 80s teen movie uh, this week. Not even intentional. I just really wanted to watch it. I watched Footloose, which uh, I loved growing up, but I hadn't seen it in years. And so I really only remembered the dancing.
1: <laughs>
2: um, great God, Chris Penn is so good in that movie. And I miss that man so much. But I, I, this was my first time seeing it since watching Rebel Without a Cause. I don't know if you guys know that Footloose is Rebel Without a Cause. Oh, yeah. I had no idea. Uh, it, it, Like, uh, like literally, like, instead of the car race, they're doing it with tractors. But, like, literally, Kevin Bacon's shoelace gets caught on the tractor, just like the guy in Rebel Without a Cause. Uh, it's the same exact thing. They're picking fights with him because he's the new guy. Uh, the only difference is, like, you know... Uh, it ends happily and they're all dancing. But yeah, with the dance-off. All the yeah. three main characters, em, Chris <laughs> Ben, and the main girl are all so similar to the I'm Rebel Without a Cause that I was like, man, I just didn't know that it was so influenced. And that's why I love this podcast that we're doing, because uh, I'm learning things. Because not nothing is original. <laughs> 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 Except for
0: Kevin Bacon's dance moves.
1: Oh, yes. Mr. Yeah. McCormick.
0: <laughs> yes, I'm, I'm very curious to see how the show continues on with what we're doing since next we're getting into early 90s before we really get into like it's a very specific 1999 episode that we're planning but uh the, the early 90s coming of age stuff and even just how movies started changing I ended up getting into a whole thing with my dad this father's day I say whole, whole thing sounds like an argument but it was really just me being like well, you know, cause in the seventies at all, I was saying what we were talking about, there were a lot of seventies movies. And he was like, I never thought about that either. And then suddenly I was like, well, cause then in the eighties, we did this. And then the nineties, we did all of these things and it just went crazy. And suddenly coming of age movies were also so much about sex and not like weird John Hughes sex, but like, I'll have a lot to say on American pie when we get there.
2: We definitely didn't touch on a lot uh, because there were sex like we've got um of course uh fast time at richmond high very
0: sexy
2: and uh phoebe (laughs) like if you watch the new season of stranger things or steve knows the exact like he says the exact um time stamp stamp of the boobs um but also porkies um Big influence on like American Pie and and stuff, and uh I didn't I didn't pick that for because I haven't seen Porky since I was high school, but I'm pretty sure that movie probably aged very poorly. I no, that wrong, is a but, that's a um, movie
0: that's there for historical purposes. Now. Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: I didn't think that was something that we needed to go on, but there were. But I mean, but there was not just John Hughes and his kind of wholesome realism, but there were other. Well, I mean, I, I think Amy Heckerling should get more credit for Fast Times because that also has a real real. real ism to it and it's it, there's sex uh, uh um i mean uh jennifer jason lee is like 15 and just like fucking people in that movie it's uh but and it's you know that's that's what... that's a
1: part of it too though like that's that's there are that's that's a part of the high school life as yeah. well like that, that you kind of have to tell all sides of it it's not all Rosie and mm-hmm. or 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 even angst—it's not all angst written. Like there's there's levels to it. So I think it is important that you kind of have a, a gamut of all those type of uh, high school coming of age stories a little bit for for everybody.
0: Yeah, I think that's something that's becoming more and more uh, apparent with Miss Marvel and when we get to these more inclusive stories that we're going to do. Well,
1: what's fascinating to me. I <clears throat> I watched Breakfast Club on Hulu and I knew it was already rated R just because of the the uh, expletives that are in there but they put a warning label at the beginning of this. And I was like, ah, oh, is that necessary? And then I watched it. I'm like, I guess for today's age, yeah, that's necessary. I mean, obviously throw the F word out there, which I was like, oh, I forgot that was just, just thrown out there. But that's the times that that was in, but like the gun. There's a thing, lot. The gun Somebody sequence, brings a gun to a school yeah, yeah. like,
0: we're not really treating the women great. And there's, I actually had to look it up because it's like blink and you miss it. There's a flag that resembles the Confederate flag. And I was like, why is this there? And sure enough, because the internet is the deepest hole in the world, <laughs> there was just an immediate article that was like, have you noticed this flag? And it's actually the Georgia state flag that the, I believe Confederacy used. Like it was more, it was like, this wasn't the Confederate flag.
1: But it was and the then they changed they it,
0: they changed it shortly after the movie. So uh, there there is also just a like, that's weird. <laughs> because for a minute I was like, "Ooh, are we about to get on some like weird Watchmen stuff where I'm going to find out that like all of these people are terrible?" And it was just <laughs> there in the library. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, I, I I also saw that warning. I was like, yeah, fair enough. There's a lot of. Mm-hmm. Kid Brings a Gun, there's a, Assault, we talk a lot about abuse and- Dr-
1: Drug use? Is drugs, the yeah, yeah. There's
0: a, there's a, It's a pretty intense movie for a comedy. I think we sort of it made is. a comment of like, we're not gonna be doing any more crazy dramas, but <laughs> I think what we see with the 80s and the 90s and comedy in general as it evolves is that the harder things to talk about just kind of get baked into the DNA. Mm-hmm. And, it's, and you get a couple scenes here or there, and then you're like, you just remember the laughter. Just like high school. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's it, guys, unless anybody has anything else. Uh, this has been the episode. Don't forget to leave us a review and a rating. And follow us on Hollywood ADI, where we also have our Hollywood Already Did It podcast about movies and reboots, remake, sequels, and why we keep retelling those stories. Terrence says the Hollywood already did a YouTube channel with his show by show reviews of all the shows he's watching and trailer reactions and Jamie is at comicbook.com and appears on their phase zero podcast and has several articles written. And we will see everybody next week.
1: Later. Bye.